0: Welcome to another episode of TCBH Interviews. As always, I'm your host, Jack, and today I have Gabe Barrett of Board Game Design Lab finally on the podcast. It's been a long time coming, so welcome to the show here, Gabe.
1: Jack, appreciate you having me on, man. I'm excited to talk to you today.
0: Yeah, totally. Is it weird being on the other side of this to have someone else do the introduction, or have you been doing the podcast circuit? No,
1: I, this is, uh, I think, the second time that I've been interviewed, and it is a little bit odd. I look over here at my notes, and it's just a blank piece of paper, which is weird. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have all these, like, notes written down and all these things I, I want to uh, talk about. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that my brain will work well enough. And actually, this is the good thing about podcasting. I can uh, I can take a minute to think about things, and you can edit all that out and make me seem like
0: I'm really smart. You're <laughs> yeah, assuming yeah, I'm that I'm going to be editing anything, but <laughs> we want the, the real oeuvre of Gabe here, so we, we want those contemplative moments as you're thinking about what you're going to say next gotcha well i hope i don't bore people too bad then uh, oh i think you'll do stellar so first off you're you're in honduras right that's where i'm talking to you yeah i've been down here about three and a half years now <laughs> so we got like nearly uh 5, miles or so between alaska <laughs> to honduras we're from one end of a continent to another
1: Right. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm right at the equator and you're kind of not. You're not. What, what is the temperature there today?
0: Oh, well, if we're, you're talking Fahrenheit, it, it actually got pretty warm today here in southeast Alaska. We're in a rainforest, so it's actually 40 degrees right now. Uh, the other day it was down to about mm, 12 Fahrenheit or so. You ask uh, my friends up in Fairbanks, though, they're talking about like negative 40 degrees or so.
1: Wow, I didn't actually realize that Alaska had that big of a, a gap or a big of a difference in in temperatures.
0: Yeah, well, consider the difference between Seattle and El Paso. Uh, is about the difference between, <laughs> you know, where I am to some of the northern cities there. Is That's it, true. I, I forget. Alaska is, uh, is ginormous. <laughs> it is epic. <laughs> if there's yeah, any absolutely. state that you want to describe as geographically epic, Alaska's got it
1: for sure but it's funny i was on vacation like seven or eight days ago we went to uh, a little island called amapala right off the coast of honduras over in the pacific ocean and it was 94 degrees most of the uh, most of the days we were there so Ooh. still a little bit of a difference in where yeah. i am and
0: where you are <laughs> yeah yeah totally man uh i went to florida for dice tower con this year and that about <laughs> killed me so I, I couldn't imagine 94 in honduras but that's why i'm here where i am and i kind of want to know about why you're where you are like first off where did you grow up and how did you end up in Honduras from there?
1: So, I'm from Alabama. Uh, as you can maybe tell, I have a slight southern accent. just it's a little nearly bit. As, it's not nearly as, as profound as my mom's. You should hear my mom talk, man. It is It is just like.
0: I'll, an I'll have her thing. on the podcast. All right. We're going to bring in everyone. Get Gabe's mom <laughs> yeah. in to talk right. about the secret origins of Gabe.
1: Right. Oh, well, that'd be a dangerous thing. Um, <laughs> we can actually talk. That's a funny story. We're, we're the origins and all that. Anyway. Um, yeah, fun fact. Let me let me just give a little fun fun little story about, about my origin, so to speak. So my mom's not actually supposed to be able to have kids. This is like she was just biologically just never gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my brother, so she had gotten pregnant and, and had my brother and he died during delivery and just tons of complications, just a really tragic, terrible thing. And and my mom's doctor was like, Yeah, you're never gonna have kids. Like it's just not possible. And so fast forward like seven or eight years, seven years. My mom's really sick, and like there's a big virus going around at work. And so she's like, Gosh, I've got this flu. I've got this virus. I'm so sick. And so she goes to the doctor, and they run all these tests. And the doctor comes back, and he's got this like very grave look on his face. And he says, Well, We're pretty confident you have a tumor, a very large tumor uh, in your abdomen. It might be cancerous, we're not sure yet, but we're going to send you to a specialist in the morning, pack a bag. You might have to have immediate surgery, you know, just depending on how far along, where it is and all that. And so, like, my mom goes home, and she's just, like, worried to death about this tumor that's growing inside of her. And uh, come find out the next day, it was me. I I was the tumor.
0: You are the tumor. (laughs) It's, not, so, a it's
1: it, not a tumor. It's not a tumor. It would turn out to be me. And so, yeah, lots of crazy stuff like that. And then it's kind of crazy how I ended up in Honduras. You're talking about Florida, man. Being from Alabama, though, I know the, the humidity. That's one thing I love about Honduras. There's hardly any humidity where I am. It's like San Diego weather year-round up here in the mountains where I live. And I ended up down here on a – I was on a mission trip. I was working for a church actually in Atlanta. I have a very long, like – winding path of getting different places. But I was working at a church in Atlanta and uh I was doing homeless ministry, doing domestic stuff. I love the United States. Let me just say I love America. I love Chick-fil-A and I love football and I love speaking English. Like I love those things. The other things are cool too, but those are like my jam. And so I had no desire to do anything internationally <laughs> And the church I work for, they send a team down to Honduras every year. And three days before the trip left, the pastor, that was my boss, he had to back out of the trip. And so he literally comes to my desk there at the church and he says, hey, Gabe, what are you doing next week? And I was like, I don't, you know, I'm working, got this meeting here, doing this over there. And he's like, nope, you're going to Honduras. I was like, "Mm mm-mm. No, no, sir. That, that's your job. That's not my job. I, I'm in Atlanta. I love America. Remember, I don't do Spanish. I don't do the other kind of football. It's not what. No, he, he said, yeah, pack a bag. You're you're going to Honduras and you're preaching and you're leading this team of people you've never met before. And so I get I remember three days later, getting on the bus, going to the airport, five o'clock in the morning, hungry, hungry tired, didn't sleep much, you know, didn't know what we were doing. All I knew was we're going to Honduras. And so super frustrated by that whole like scenario and situation, the way it all worked out. I didn't know anybody. I figured I probably wouldn't like them, you know, but (laughs) uh, but anyway, I got down to Honduras on that mission trip. And during that week, we were working at an orphanage and I actually met the girl that I am now married to. She's from Alabama as well. She grew up two two hours north of where I grew up. We Like our high schools played each other in sports. That's how close together we, we grew up. And anyway, I had to go to Honduras to meet a girl from Alabama, and so we eventually got married, and I moved down here, and we're adopting two little girls, and and now I teach at a high school. I teach English, and it's just been a crazy ride over the last three and a half, four years, man
0: man, that is an amazing story. And there's so much that I want to pick out of that. Uh, first right. off, you know, you mentioned you're adopting girls. Well, that's that's my daytime non-cardboard Herald profession is uh, working in adoptions and foster care adoptions here in Alaska. You are talking about um, doing domestic work. What, what's that all about when back before your Honduras excursion?
1: Yeah, so I was working in Atlanta, um, and actually I still do this during the summer. It used to be year-round, but now it's just during the summer where I I organize mission teams to work with the homeless in Atlanta. And so it's mostly uh, middle school and high school age kids. Sometimes college, sometimes adult. Most the high school kids that come to Atlanta, and we do a lot of like training on how to serve. You know, I don't want to say the right way, but to do it the best way. So you're not uh, hurting more than you're helping. So you're making sure people feel like you know, like they have dignity. You're not just going out and throwing sandwiches at people. You're not just doing stuff to make you feel better. Uh, You're you're going on. You're not, not going on mission trips just to change your Facebook profile picture. You know what I mean? Like you're actually going. Yeah,
0: you're not now. taking like selfies in the, the soup yeah. cafe being like, look at how good I'm doing out here. Right. It's, it's funny because
1: marketing is really difficult because we don't take any pictures, really. Um, I, it's kind of something I'm totally against. It's like if you're here to take pictures, you're here for the wrong reason. Yeah. And you're, so you're I still get to do that. And,
0: other people's, um, you know, horrible situations and that.
1: Exactly. I tell students, you know, think about the worst day of your life. Did you want people taking your picture on that day? Think about people that are going through the worst day of their life. Maybe not the worst day, maybe the worst week, maybe the worst month, maybe the worst 10 years of their life that they've been struggling and dealing with something. And so the last thing we want to do is make them feel like like they're at the zoo, you know, like they're animals in the zoo or, you know, I tell them it's not poverty tourism. You know, we're not here just to look at the homeless people in Point and take pictures and whatever. And so we do a lot of training on how to how to do things well, uh, on training on how to go back home. So Atlanta's kind of a hub where people come in and learn how to go back home to their own communities and serve there and love people there. And, you know, I tell them, you're in Atlanta for a week and you're at your house, you know, 51 weeks. And so uh, just being aware that that your house, your community, your school, your neighborhood, all those things, it's, it's more important than what you're going to do in Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta's a place to learn and then to go back home and take that with you and you know letting people know that they're not the savior like they're not going to save the day you know the mayor's not going to throw us a parade at the end of the week for ending homelessness like it's not going to happen we're not getting the key to the city uh, we're just trying to go out and change somebody's day just trying to love people right where they're at whether that's with uh, a hot meal or you know just a kind word or helping them get off the streets we, we do work with partners we don't do anything on our own that's nothing that people do they go out and do their own thing and it really bothers me because you're there for a week and so we make sure we partner with organizations that do it every single day of the year. And we just come in and, and help them do what they're already doing. And so that, that's that's what I get to do. That's what I did before moving to Honduras. And that's still what I get to do in, in June and July during the uh, the summer season. And um, yeah, so I moved to Honduras. And then I was working at an orphanage for a while, about a year and a half. And then I worked with an organization that helps kids transition out of orphanages. You know, you kind of hit that 18, 19-year-old mark and you, you get kicked out and so many you know it's it's bad in the states, but it 's really bad here from what i 've seen just what i 've experienced and kids not having any idea how to live in their own country, like how to exist, how to open a bank account, how to get on the bus, how to wash their clothes, how to you know all the normal life skills that, that if you 're in a family you learn when you're five years old, eight years old, twelve years old, sixteen years old, they have no idea, and so trying to help those kids just learn life skills, and, and now, um, let's see, I guess I started in August, so about six months now, I'm teaching uh, at a high school. I teach English, teach literature and writing and that kind of stuff, so it's been an interesting
0: journey last few years. Do you think that this is propelled by uh, your your faith or is this propelled by like mentors in your life who have assisted you when you could have gone a different direction? Like you you seem so dedicated to to service and to helping others, not just in an orphanage or in um, in a community with homeless people, but even board game design lab is in itself a service to others. Like what compels you?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm a Christian. Uh, I've been a Christian since I was like like seven years old, when I had my little come to Jesus moment, so to speak. And but it didn't really become real to me until I was probably uh, probably my senior year of college. Actually, I was like 22, 23 when the, my faith really became my faith. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. My whole life it's, it's been again going back to my mom, uh, her whole whole culture, her like her life was all about helping other people and serving and doing things. And so uh, I remember her dragging me along to a lot of opportunities to help people, serve people and do different things. And I think that just kind of built in me that just, like that's just normal. You know what I mean? Like some people think, oh, I have to go and we have to do these trips and all that stuff. It's like, well, no, this is just just what we do. So what we should do as people, we should help other people. That just, that's, that's normal to me. That just it's it what makes sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's just kind of been... My my story, I guess, is just finding ways to help other people. It's something I, I love doing. Um, it's something I enjoy doing in, in any any aspect. And so whether I'm doing actual like working for the church, like this is my professional job of serving, or whether it's an opportunity to take a hobby like board games and find ways to help other people. It's just, I don't know, I feel like that's the best possible way to live. I had a friend, he, you know, he was, an, he's an atheist and he and I were talking one time and he said, well, well, Gabe, what if you're wrong? Like, what if all this stuff about Jesus is just garbage? You know, it's not true. What then? How would you live your life? And I told him, I said, well, you know, even if it was all
0: a lie, you're still, still helping people.
1: Yeah. I still feel like this is the best way to live of finding ways to help others and love people and show kindness and compassion and forgiveness, All all that stuff that goes along with, with actually following Jesus. Not, not like not the following Jesus of like getting on Facebook and like destroying people in the comments like that's not <laughs> yeah <laughs> not that side I, that people have kind of done. but know just what the loving mean. and serving yeah, yeah unfortunately you- many people know what I mean and that's that's super frustrating but um, yeah not that style
0: yeah the the worst case scenario is that you're making the world a better place. You're making people feel valued. You're making them feel fulfilled. You're empowering other people in order to make good choices for themselves. Uh, and hopefully, you know, from your perspective, you're, you're hoping to to lead them towards a light, but you know, worst case scenario, even if it was all garbage, you're still helping people to, to stand on their own. And, and fundamentally as humans that, that, seems like what we should be all doing in order to make the world a better place.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's so obvious to me and I think to a lot of other people that we're not supposed to be by ourselves. You know, we're just, we're community-driven creatures. You know, we're community is so important in our psychology and our emotions and, and everything about us, our physical state. You know, like people get sick when they're not around other people for too long and when they don't get touched and when they don't feel loved and all that. And so it just seems to me that, that that's what we were made for. And now I believe that there's a higher power, that that God was, was instrumental in why we're like that. But even if you don't believe that, you, you can't deny that community and working together and serving one another just seems to be a better way to live.
0: Yeah, certainly it at least makes you feel better. Like you you feel the benefit in in assisting other people. You feel uh, fulfilled, or at least I hope most people do. I certainly feel more fulfilled when I'm helping others. But I could talk to you about social work. I could talk to you about (laughs) all of this of faith, purpose. Uh, I could just spend an entire hour talking about all this stuff. But, This is a tabletop gaming podcast, so we we should dedicate at least a little bit of time to that. So, you know, what what brought you into this modern tabletop gaming? That's a far cry from, you know, the football and Chick-fil-A that you were talking about earlier.
1: Yeah, for sure. I don't don't know. Game design. I'm trying to remember, like when I first started making games, I remember when I first like found the hobby, so to speak, when I first like what was the game? yeah. It's called Pony Express. It's a weird <laughs> story. Okay. So I was at, I was at a hotel. A friend of mine was at a, she's a physical therapist. She was at some kind of PT convention and she needed somebody to drive. And so I drove and it was, you know, it was a bunch of us there together all these physical therapists and then me and so while they would go off during the day to all their like lectures and talks and breakouts and all that stuff I was just kind of hanging out in the hotel and I remember like they sent me a message that said hey what do you want for lunch and I was like oh you know threw around some options and they said hey what about Panda Express I was like oh, okay cool I'll, I'll get on my computer and I'll find a Panda Express in the area and so I'd been watching some YouTube videos and this is so like I don't know it's so weird how it happened I accidentally typed in this in the search bar of YouTube as opposed to the search bar of like The top, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't Google search it. YouTube searched. And I typed in, I think I typed in Pony Express instead of Panda Express, right? And it popped up this this game review from Tom Vassell. And I was like, what is this? Like it's just like so odd. Ah, like, what is this thing, this Pony Express board game? Like that just sounds dumb. Let me let me check it out. And <laughs> so I watched that review, and like my eyes were open that that games didn't have to be Monopoly or Scrabble or Uno. That there was like this whole other world of games. And I kind of you know I heard about Catan. I'd heard about some different things, but nothing really until that point. And I I think I watched like. 50 review videos over the next couple of days. It was just like Tom Vassal videos just sitting in the hotel room and just like this giant world of gaming being opened up and then started playing games and got more into that and eventually started creating them. I don't remember when I started creating them and I tried for the best because they were really, really bad. Really bad. But yeah, I just started working on my own designs
0: and kind of going from there. And at what point did Board Game Design Lab become like a, a germ in your mind that you knew you had to develop?
1: Yeah, okay. So let's let's figure that out. So The story I just told you, that was probably, I was probably like 23, 24, right right out of college, maybe. I think I was 24. So that was seven years ago, right? Uh, Board Game Design Lab came up about two years ago, a little over two years ago. I had the idea. And I had some other projects I was working on. I was working on a couple of books. I was writing those. I had some other things I wanted to do. And I thought, man, this board game thing, I'd really like to do a podcast. I'd like to do a website. But I don't know if that's what I need to do. I don't know if that's where I need to kind of focus. Let me try these other things. And if none of those work out, and if none of those things take off or do very well or make any money, then, then I'll do the board game thing. And – all the other stuff basically failed. <laughs> 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 uh, it just didn't, you know, didn't take off the way I wanted it to or, or hoped it would. And so I r- remember like running back into this idea of like this podcast and a website with all these resources. And so yeah, about a year, actually right at a year ago, uh, launched the site and you know launched a few interviews that I'd kind of pre-recorded with some different designers and people. And the, the rest of kind of history. It's been it's been a crazy year of just so many people. Um, downloading the interviews and sending me emails and talking to me about, you know, all these different board game design issues they're having and, and saying a lot of encouraging things and offering advice and suggestions. It's just been a really cool year.
0: Yeah, it's actually kind of crazy. I think you and I are of an age. What are you, 31? 31. Yeah, 31. And um, also, we started our podcast right about the same time. I think independent, uh, like, I think maybe I, I first downloaded uh, one of your episodes, like, in April of 2017 or something. What did you start at, at the beginning of 2017, late 16?
1: December, January, 2016, 2017, right? I mean, literally, like, a year i go from when we're recording this.
0: Yeah. So I started this and I think put up the first episode at the very end of October 16. So Mm -hmm. we were starting within a couple months of each other. Now, um, I certainly wasn't uh, intending to, to do anything uh, particularly noble with it, other than it was a creative outlet for me. Mm-hmm. Like, this was a replacement for music, which is what I normally had done in the past, but I have a kid, and it, it didn't make a, a lot of sense to be banging on drums and playing you know, heavy metal guitar and punk rock bass and all that kind of stuff all the time with him sleeping next door. So I was right. like, okay, well, you know, big fan of board games. I, I haven't done writing in a long time. I'd like to just write some reviews. And then I would use a podcast as just a way to hone my audio editing skills and practice new techniques that I'd never done before. It was supposed to be a diary of, I guess, my reviews as I was writing them. And I was like, if a hundred people listen to this, then I I will be blown away. And sure enough, people came and listened and, uh, you know, similar experience to you of just being flabbergasted by uh, the amount of people that you not only have access to that are willing to come on to the show, but also uh, the the amount of appreciation from the the community. Now again, mine is, is an entirely different thing. Yours is definitely a service. Mine is still much more selfish. Of uh, I just want to talk to these people, and you know, I, I like the behind the music kind of aspect, secret origins. You know, I'm big, right. big like comic book nerd. I want to know every little motivation that brought you into the world. But it's kind of crazy to see how two weekly podcasts, started doing interviews back to back and oftentimes with the same people on them. And right. at times I, I'd listen and I'd be like, oh, he's got, he's got Stegmaier on. I thought I was the Stegmaier guy or <laughs> you <know? laughs> that kind of stuff. And there aren't a lot of people who are doing weekly interviews in the way that that we are. And I think that we've definitely branched in such significant Directions that were of a kind, but I I have heard from people be like, dude, your your rival Gabe just posted this interview. <laughs> like my rival, you know, he's more. I like to think of him as a colleague, you know. Well, uh, there you go. <laughs> so uh, this this was meaningful to me to have you uh, on the show and to kind of talk about the the history and again the the service that you provide because I very much see it as that. And one of the most interesting things that uh, I've seen in um, the, the community aspect, especially when I go to uh, conventions, have you gone to many conventions or anything? You're in Honduras, but you know, since starting Board Game Design Lab?
1: Yeah, the main one I went to was Origins over okay. the summer. Yeah, uh, totally. It was, a, it was a lot cheaper. I was already in the in the States during the summer. And so instead of having to pay you know $1,200 to get there, I could pay a couple hundred dollars. And so I was able to go. <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. Well, you know, I imagine that you were somewhat of like a, a rock star at Origins because at least at uh, PAX Unplugged, at Dice Tower, you know, talking to the people in the Unpub room, the number of people that cite your podcast independent of your presence as being something that has been instrumental to helping them along is pretty profound. And, and it's, um, it is you, and then other resources like uh, Jamie Stegmeier's design diaries himself. You know, just talking about the the things that matter to him, the choices available to him, uh, things like regrets, things that were challenges, you know, helpful tips. Like that stuff is so instrumental to to people who are somewhat directionless when they get started. They have a good idea and just don't know where to go with it. I don't Rock know. Rockstar is wh- a strong word, though. <laughs> hey, <laughs> in this small of a community, you know. It, a a rock star uh, can still be someone who who has an impact with uh, just some random people out there in the world I'm sure at least one person recognized you and went hey it's Gabe from Board Game Design Lab
1: yeah it helped that I I wore a shirt that had my logo on it I think Uh, that was part of it but yeah there were a handful of people that uh, recognized it which is really cool it's always cool to to kind of be noticed like that and recognized and people say oh man I really love what you're doing it's always nice to hear encouraging things and hear from people that like what you're doing and feel like their life is better in some way because of what you're doing that's always a great feeling it was also funny to i met some people that like because it's a podcast and i don't do videos and, and you know it's not my face that people see a lot they're like oh oh you're that guy i was like oh yeah i'm, I'm that guy i guess
0: <laughs> so i met some people that that knew of the show knew of me but hadn't you know just didn't know what i look like i imagine some people are going to hear your voice and automatically go wait you're you're gabe you know you have a pretty distinctive <laughs> voice there
1: Yeah, especially in the board game community. I feel like a lot of people in board games are from like Wisconsin and from like the Midwest. And that makes sense. You know, in the South, we have a lot more days of warm. And so we don't have to be in (laughs) our houses as much as you do in Wisconsin, you know.
0: Uh,
1: And so I think my southern accent helps me stick out just a little bit.
0: (laughs) Just a little bit. So do you feel like you've actually become a better game designer since starting Design Lab?
1: I've become like a million times better. Uh, it's just been Now, part of that's time, you know, and the more you do something, the more the better you get. Just that's that's anything.
0: 10,000 hours. So part
1: of it, yeah, absolutely. And so part of it is just, you know, making a lot of mistakes, failing, figuring out what doesn't work, you know, the whole Thomas Edison thing, figuring out all the ways not to make a good game. And so part of it is that, but also just, talking to so many people that are so much smarter than me and have been through so much more and learned so much more and just like gleaning as much as I can from them. Because part of the podcasting process, you know, I I listen to the interview because as I'm interviewing, so I'm hearing what they're saying. But then because of the editing process, I, I listen to it again. So I hear every episode at least twice. And so I can really kind of absorb a lot of what they're talking about. And, and when you talk to Matt Leacock or Rob Davio, Jamie Stegburn, any of these guys that know so much, it's, it's really hard to not get better, to not learn just because they have so much you know, wisdom and advice and information. And so, yeah, I've, I've gotten so much better over the last year.
0: Do you feel like your, your goals and, and your motivations with Design Lab have evolved since you started it?
1: Yeah, definitely, because when I started it, I didn't have any preconceptions. I mean, it's kind of the, the same as you. It's like, if I can get 100 people to listen to this thing, I will consider myself just extremely excited. <laughs> and so, <laughs> to start things off, and it was very humble beginnings, and just saying, hey, uh, w- with me... I- Living in Honduras, I can't, like, go to the game store and buy a game, play it, and review it. Like, that's just not possible. There's no game stores in Honduras, and if they were here, they'd all be in Spanish. And so it would make playing and reviewing games just, you know, just not a, a simple thing. And so I just I wanted to do something to give back to the community, to be part of the community, and being able to play a lot of games and review games and all that kind of stuff just wasn't an option. And so that's kind of where the the show came from. It's like, well, I can can talk. I know how to talk. I know how to talk to people. I'm pretty good with people. I think I have a good enough internet connection, hopefully, as long as my power (laughs) stays on. Hey, it seems
0: at least as good as Alaska, so I'm pretty happy with that (laughs) so far.
1: Yeah, Definitely. And so that's kind of where it started. And so is it evolving? Absolutely. I I am so pumped for 2018. And and what's what's possible, you know, now that kind of got some traction and got a pretty decent uh, listener base and and, uh, looking to do a crowdfunding campaign here in in February and and just excited about the possibilities and and just excited to see what people want. You know, And, and that's the cool thing about doing a Kickstarter or Indiegogo. You can kind of hear from your community and say, hey, here's here's these things. Do you want these things? If so, let's do it. If not, that's cool. We can do something else. And so I'm excited to just kind of see where the whole thing whole thing goes.
0: What do you think has been the the biggest challenge of the the whole endeavor so far?
1: Third world challenges. I mean, it really is <laughs> my power and my internet and like overcoming technical stuff. And uh-huh. so looking into you know looking into different ways to kind of overcome that. And um, I don't know the the time has not been an issue really. It, it's kind of one of those things that I'm the kind of person like if I commit to something, I'm all in it's and I don't I don't do the whole halfway thing and that's why I wanted to wait about doing the podcast I wanted to wait until I had gone all in on some other things and you know succeeded or failed and then that way I could focus on this and go okay let's see what what this is. And so it's been good just to jump in and my wife's super supportive. And so she knows like every Tuesday afternoon, I'm editing a podcast that's going to go live on, on Wednesday and on Sunday evening. I'm putting together a newsletter to go out on Monday morning. And so like she's, she's been super supportive in in the time that this has been taking. I think that was one of the questions uh, somebody asked on Twitter, like how much time, do, do guys like you and I devote to this thing? And I was thinking about it's like 15 ish hours a week between interviewing, editing, finding stuff for the newsletter, you know, sending messages out to other designers, talking to people, trying to get them on the show, talking to listeners. All this. It's like 15 ish hours. So, I mean, it's a good little part time job going right now. I'd love for it to be more. I've got some ideas on other ways to, to do more, more content and things like that. Uh, but what about you? How many hours do you think you put in on, on a weekly basis?
0: Oh, man, I, I think 15 is a good estimate. You know, I, I try to streamline things as much as possible, and some weeks are a little bit more, uh, some weeks a little bit less. But because I'm trying to do video, I, I have two podcasts going at this point, and also the original intention of the the whole thing was to write reviews and get better at writing and feeling like uh, I was really being creative with it. Then uh, I think... On some of the busier weeks, I can be spending, you know, 20 or more hours on it. But, you know, it's it's a passion, right? You know, because it's a creative endeavor, I I feel fulfilled with the process, even if it can be really difficult. Sometimes it is something that I feel like is um, is as much a hobby as it is a labor, which is a good thing.
1: Yeah, well, the journey is the destination for this kind of stuff. You know, this process is this is why we do it. You know, it's not for people to tell us great job or anything necessarily. It's just because we enjoy doing it, and that kind of is a reward in and of itself.
0: Totally. Before we get straight up into listener questions, you know, what does the future hold for Board Game Design Lab? If if there's any peek behind the curtain that you're willing to give, you mentioned crowdfunding. Uh, you know, what is going to be the payoff of that crowdfunding if people are investing in? Gabe and Board Game Design Lab.
1: Yeah, well, one thing. Well, let me let me back up. So, I've researched a lot of other podcasts and you know this kind of medium, this kind of content creation as far as crowdfunding and that kind of stuff. And so, like, I wanted to do things that were typical, uh-huh. uh, just because I'm you know not trying to do something crazy, different, or new, or unexpected. But but also wanting to do a little bit more. And one thing I noticed with a lot of crowdfunding things for for podcasts and things is you don't you don't get a lot. Like you get like oh the next season of the show and that's cool like that's awesome but I don't personally I just I just want to give people a little bit more and so I've been working on a book that's it's about game design advice right and and not from me because I'm I'm just a guy that interviews people like I don't have a lot of uh, game design advice other than what I've learned from them you know and so I've been interviewing people in written form um, just their just their advice on questions I think there's twelve questions, 12 topics, and just talking to, you know, Matt Leacock, Rob Davio, Jamie Stegmaier, Bruno Fatuti, a lot of people that have been on my show, and then a whole bunch that haven't been on the show yet, of just getting their advice on different topics, and putting a book together Mm -hmm. of advice from the masters, and so the crowdfunding is going to have that book as like the main reward, and then, you know, every dollar that goes... Uh, Above and beyond what the cost of the book is, well, that goes to support the show. You know, so helping me out with some new software, maybe some more new equipment, just paying for all the different hosting and get that sweet
0: boom stand for you.
1: (laughs) Yes, right. You know, talking before the show, you have a very cool setup with the with the boom and the downward mic. I've got this little tripod thing that (laughs) you that usually works. Sometimes
0: it slips, but anyway. Hey, it sounds great to me.
1: Yeah, so just improving the show in different ways, and I've got some ideas on some really cool things I I could do if people wanted it, if the money's there, because I'm the kind of guy that I don't want to do stuff by myself, and so I've got some ideas on, on things to do, but I want to be able to pay people to help with that, and you know, I don't want to go to somebody and say, "Hey, help me do this really great thing for free <laughs> I want to be able to you know pay people some money to help me uh, work on these different content things and so you know we'll we'll see what what happens with the It's going to be an Indiegogo campaign because here's another cool thing. I was going to do Kickstarter because, you know, everybody's on Kickstarter. But Kickstarter won't let you do any kind of discount thing. And so one of the main aspects of of my campaign is going to be a coupon book that's going to have a ton of discounts and a ton of, you know, game. It's a a game design coupon book, right? And so talking to different people about getting discounts on different services that are are relevant to game designers, whether it's rule book editing or Kickstarter previews. Prototype parts and components and things like that, and so I'm excited about that. And you can't do that on Kickstarter, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to Indiegogo, and then you also can't do giveaways on Kickstarter. And so I want this to be a community thing. This is not just about me getting some money. I, this is community. And so I'm gonna do. And I hadn't figured out all the details yet, but what I'm thinking is like every certain amount of money we raise over the funding goal, I'm gonna do a $50 game giveaway from from Cool Stuff Inc. Right. So if you back if you back the project, you might end up with some free games, a free game, you know. And so you might. Actually, uh, do better. <laughs> you might make a little money. You know, if you if you back the project for twenty bucks and you win a fifty dollar game, you made thirty dollars.
0: And so <laughs> you are the entrepreneur. You're way <laughs> more organized about this stuff than me. I, I'm just over here like, you know, I I could ask for for some money maybe with a, some crowdfunding or a Patreon or something, but I don't know. I want to get a little bit better before I before I ask something. But uh, then again, you are modeled as a service, so it makes sense. And I I think that you are going to have a lot of success with that. I, I think this is going to be awesome for you.
1: Well, thanks, man. I really I really hope so. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the things I can't tell you about right now. Some things in the background Ooh, that are secrets. in the works. Yeah. I'm, I got an email a couple of days ago from a guy that I super respect and, and he's just talking about possibly working together on some things. And so I, I hope that works out. I really hope, I wish I could tell you because I'm so pumped about it, but I don't know if it's going to work out just yet, but some
0: really cool things coming in 2018. Well, Cardboard Herald isn't getting the scoops today, but I'm looking forward to hearing what it is. But we have some listener questions. You know, I turned yeah. to Twitter to get these. So uh, I might as well work down the list. We'll see how many of these we can knock out uh, in the time we have left. So at Rick Lorenzen asks, both of you guys have had some pretty famous folks on your shows, as well as many rising stars in the board game world. Is it difficult to get in touch, get responses to your interviews, invitations, et cetera?
1: First of all, what's up, Rick? I love Rick. That guy's yeah, awesome. We've he, talked a lot on, um, he's
0: ahead. awesome. Yeah. He, he's yeah. a burgeoning designer. He's got a lot of cool stuff going on. He, he's a musician. So automatically I love him.
1: Yeah, I guess. Great. He and I've had some really good conversations over at the board game design forum. And, uh, One thing that I was super surprised about, so the first, when I first started this whole thing, right, when I had the idea, I was like, okay, I want to launch the show with at least three episodes. I don't want to just do one. I want to do at least three or four if I can. And so I sent out probably, I don't know, 20 requests for different people. Mm -hmm. And most of them said yes. (laughs) So I was like, oh. And so I ended up, I think I had 12 episodes in the queue before I ever even started, with just really some really cool designers, really great designer. Jamie Stegmaier was the first episode I did, and he was the, the first yes I got, and then he just kind of, that led to a whole bunch of other people. Rotto was one of the first, Colby Dowd from Plat Hat Games, uh, JT Smith from The Game Crafter, and The Captain is Dead uh, game design, and just a lot of really incredible people. And so what I've found is that one, this in, this industry is pretty small. And so you can find email addresses for almost everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. you can go to BGG and you can find people's contact information just right there. And so I talked to a lot of people on board Game Geek. Just go to, you know, publishers' websites and send them contact requests and stuff like that. And I've been overwhelmed by how many people say yes. They want to come talk about their game, want to come talk about design, want to talk about their company. It's just been it's it's been awesome. And so what I've learned is just ask. You never know until you ask. And and don't be afraid. Rob Matt Leacott, the people that are, you know, the monoliths or, you know, the, the, the people that would be on the game design Mount Rushmore, you know, <laughs> Richard Lanius, those kind of guys. They're super cool and they're super like humble and they love to talk about games. And, and it's just been so easy. Have you found the same kind of thing talking to the folks on that have come on your show?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I think the the harder ones have been the, the people who have been out of the spotlight for a while, uh, but I still find a lot of value in them, and, and I try to branch out into uh, some people who are who are meaningful specifically to me, like um, Anson Maddox, uh, one of the original artists from Magic the Gathering was yeah. incredibly important that I interview that guy if I got a chance, and like that was wish fulfillment to be able to talk with that guy, and finding him was a little bit difficult but being able to say hey i just want to talk to you about you know what what motivated you and, and where you were at this point in your life and how you reflect on it now so many years later and the fact that he was so welcoming to that w- was great and i i found the same thing like jamie Stegmeier. you know i just messaged him on board game geek you know i saw he was active and i was like hey, i'll just send him a message and sure enough he replied i was like oh god i just started this podcast <laughs> now and now what do oh, i but, do yeah exactly um <laughs> Some of them, I think I had to be a little bit persistent to get like, I, I forget all the details surrounding getting Reinhard Knizia on, but that, that one was like, whoa, I am amazed that the good doctor of board games is coming on the show. But for the most part, the community wants to support one another and they want to support cool projects. And as long as you're like a cool person who's enjoyable to talk to, you know, people want to talk and they they want to you know, show their products, but they they also just want to hang out with other gamers. It, it's inherently a social medium. Even if you're someone who's into solo gaming, you know, part of gaming is that, it's social people sitting around at the table and geeking out about how awesome these games are so people want to talk about it so yeah totally more often than not i find that people want to come on the show or if they can't then they'll say hey talk to me in a little bit um, Schedule's busy talk to me in a couple months and we'll get something together so that's been awesome
1: Yeah, for sure, man. And the cool thing about all these people, like you said, they're gamers, too. Like, they're not just game designers. They're gamers as well. And so, you know, everybody likes
0: kind of learning the new stuff and talking to each other. It's been great. At Winsmith Games asks, I'm curious how you both come up with podcast topics and how many topics you generally have in your back pocket at a given time.
1: Well, as far as like topics in my. okay, so when I first started, I wrote down like, I don't know, 100 topics and I wrote down a bunch of people. Like I just kind of made these these big master lists of things I want to talk about, things I think would be cool, and then also like a dream team of all these different people that'd be really cool to talk to.
0: That I, <laughs> I did the same thing. Yeah, I had a Google document. Not I didn't yep. write it down.
1: Yeah, and so I just kind of go through that. And then what's really cool now I've you know I've gotten some momentum, and so people will send me ideas. They'll say, Hey, have you thought about talking to this person about this topic? I was like, Oh, that's a really cool idea. I'll write that down. I'll send them a message. And so I've I've talked to a lot of people based on. Uh, suggestions from others. I actually just sent out a big survey last month. I think it was last month. Um, Maybe it was November. But anyway, and just asking people about all sorts of different things. And so one of the questions was, hey, who do you want to hear? And so I got a really, really great new list of of people that maybe I never even heard of. Maybe I just didn't think about them. Uh, And so I'm excited to just kind of go through that list. As far as like in my back pocket, I usually have three or four episodes in the queue. You know, some people everybody's got different things that like make them feel safe or secure. You know, like some people, they need to go and look at their bank account and have a certain number in there to feel like good about their life. Like me, I need to like make sure I have three episodes in the queue to feel good about my life. It's kind of weird at this point. <laughs> and so it's odd if I get less than three, I'm like, oh, no, I got I got I to record six episodes this week. You know, let me send a bunch of messages. And so I just, I just like having a handful in, in the back pocket just in case, you know, just in case something happens. Um, but usually I have three or four in the queue line.
0: Totally. Well, this this is where it shows that you're way more organized than me because I don't specifically have topics. You know, I have people that I want to talk to, but hopefully the the interviews just kind of go whatever direction they go. And kind of like a, a dog chasing cars, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen as I go into the interview. Like, I I didn't know that I would be talking to you so much up front about social work, but I'm delighted uh, that I got a chance to talk to you about that. I do have in my mind uh, people that I'd like to talk to. And that's actually something that's kinda of interesting as the show has evolved in that I find the people who are just getting their start who haven't really shaped who their personality is, what their their oeuvre is in the board game space, those are sometimes the the best conversations I have. Just yeah. you know, just people who are figuring out who they are right now. And so I find that I'm doing a lot less reaching out to, to the giants uh, i'm still trying to you know talk with people now and then about uh coming on the show um but i i'm much more interested in in you know seeing a cool project at unpub or or seeing um someone be really passionate about what they're doing and if you're passionate if you care about whatever it is you're working on and you're you're enthusiastic about it and you just seem like someone who would be good to have a conversation with then that's who I want to talk with and, and I try to you know keep a running list of that and I know that that's again a very selfish thing for me the The audience you know surprisingly the audience has followed along with some of these uh, interviews that are really obscure people along the way um, but I do try to mix in the big the big names when I can
1: Yeah. And I think that's a really great way to do it. I think ultimately people just want to hear good content. You know, that's, that's kind of what drove me to want to start a podcast. I I was listening to a lot of other shows and got really just tired of hearing about things I didn't care about. You know, and so (laughs) I set out to make the show I wanted to listen to, you know, because personally, I I don't really care about what games people have been playing lately. I I just don't. And I know that's like a big part of a lot of podcasts and that's cool. That's fine. That works for their audience, but that's not what I wanted. And so, it really started off with like, what kind of show do I want to listen to? Let me make that. Okay, I wanna I wanna hear a show about Jamie Stigmar talking about his newest legacy I, game. Okay, I, let's I, let's do that.
0: I think I I think I heard your your first episode where you were talking about um because I started at the beginning, I had heard you know, oh this other interview podcast what's going on here? It's doing weekly interviews I thought I was the weekly interview guy (laughs) Um, and in your first episode you're like I don't want to know about what games you've been playing, I don't want to know about where you grew up and all that stuff, and I'm like that's like every interview I'm, you know, usually I don't focus on what games you're playing, but uh, I like the squishy stuff, you know what makes you you but (laughs) that was a very distinct uh, memory, and I thought that was actually really cool that we had such different approaches to it
1: no i think that's great because i don't think it would work very well if we were literally doing the same show like if you and i both were going after the exact same thing like then i think we really would be rivals and we probably wouldn't be on each other's show there could be only
0: one (laughs) we must (laughs) duel what pony express that would be the the game that would be the way to go man Cause we it's got dexterity.
1: Decide. It's got, oh, it's, it's, it's the perfect game. It's got the full, it's got way too much going on, honestly, but it's a great game for like, you know, 10 years ago. <laughs> so, but what you do is not what I do and vice versa. And I think that's why, why it works. Cause you, you don't, we're not doing the same thing. And so people that want to listen to your style, listen to your show. People listen to my style, listen to my show. And then there's a whole bunch of people that like both styles and listen to both
0: shows. Or and so some I think yeah, it works. Out. Other amazing content out there. That that's the cool oh, yeah. thing is that like, there are so many cool podcasts out there and. Yep. Um, you know, oftentimes uh, some of the questions that I'll get is about content creation, people asking about, you know, starting my own podcast. I've actually had people who are listeners of the show. They're like, I want to do something, but I don't don't necessarily want to like step on your toes or or do whatever you're doing. I'm like, hey, if that's the direction that you feel compelled to, then do it. You're a different person than me. You'll you'll have a different approach and, you know, it'll bear out whether it works or not. You know, if... If for some reason, because there's only a limited amount of podcasts that can be out there, you cannibalize my audience. Well, then great. We have an awesome new podcast out there. And, you know, more than likely, it's going to be able to sustain uh, all these different perspectives and experiences because it just adds more voices. It it adds more perspectives and people ultimately can choose what they want to listen to.
1: Definitely. And as much as the the audience is growing, I mean, game design, not game design, but game board games in general continue to grow year after year after year by leaps and bounds. We're not talking about adding 10 new people a year. We're adding a million new people a year, more than that maybe. And so lots and lots of people are still coming in and that's going to continue. People, you know, they they talk about all the time, like this board game renaissance. And is it in the beginning, the middle, the end? Where is it? I've
0: been been hearing that board game renaissance and like it's been growing by leaps and bounds for like 10 years now you know right like like people have been like oh this is the year that board games are booming well you said that last year and the year before like it's just continuing to grow because turns out that as we become more technologically focused that people want a reason to sit down and feel cool components and do interesting stuff that brings them together in a community and that's awesome also let's not
1: forget that the renaissance like the actual renaissance of history lasted hundreds of years All right. So let's just it is, you know, let's not forget that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's that's a great point. Now we just need an Assassin's Creed game set in uh, the board game (laughs) renaissance. Um, So at PK Tyson asks this question that we were hitting on earlier. I'd be curious about how long both of your preparation times and post podcast time ends up being. In other words, how much time do you have to dedicate to the podcast outside of recording? Well, for me yeah. specifically, the the podcast element, we do the recording. There's the interview scheduling, uh, sometimes some back and forth about what we're going to do there. Usually I have like five or so minutes of talk with the person in advance. And occasionally I'll make reference to that like I did earlier. And people will be like, what the heck is he talking about? Uh, because they don't have the context for that. And then as far as editing, I don't know. I've been editing since I had a four track recorder at like 11 years old in my dad's basement with my guitar. So editing goes pretty fast for me and usually takes less time than the actual podcast itself. I take a lot of notes as I go on where I go, oh, this might not have worked or, you know, this little snippet I should probably cut out. And then I kind of skim through the episode, listen through to make sure that everything's flowing uh, that the levels are all right, and then chop out the parts that don't work, make sure those seem all right, and then get it uploaded. So probably the specific interview podcast, I, I'm spending like an extra five hours on uh, beyond the interview time itself during a week.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to like actually track... This, this time, you know, like during the week and how long it actually takes to have more than just a guess. But I know it usually takes me, it doesn't take long to prepare for an episode because again, I'm just asking questions. And so a lot of times I'll write down a skeleton, kind of an outline of what I want to talk about. And with my show, it's a little bit easier because it's, I'm only, I'm really just focusing on one topic. And so I can have, you know, a bunch of questions that all point back to that one topic. And and so a lot of times I'll just, about 45 minutes before the show, uh, I like to do it right before the show. That way all the questions are kind of fresh in my mind i set an alarm on my phone, it goes off, and I start writing down different ideas, different questions, if I need to kind of look up something, look up how to pronounce a guy's name or what games he's been working on, you know, I'll, I'll do that just so I'm kind of in the know. But preparation doesn't take a long time, unless it's like a bigger interview. I remember the Rob Davio interview. Uh, I spent a good bit of time just really wanting to ask the right questions just, I just wanted that to be a really, really great, as great as it could be, episode. And so I put it, put it not not that every episode's not, you know, I want them all to be great. But that was one that I really felt like was was going to be a peak point. You know, like I felt like people are going to listen to this one maybe more than they're going to listen to a lot of the other ones. So I want to make totally. sure it's just as good as possible. Uh, that one took a little bit longer, but
0: I, I, as far as edit, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that for me, the Canizia interview um, oh, and yeah. then uh, Francesco Nepotello, uh one of the designers of War of the Ring, because I'm a huge Tolkien geek and he is as well just one of the premier designers in the Tolkien space and I knew he had a huge reverence for the written work and I, I just, I don't know that I did a lot of preparation that was helpful for the interview, more so like anxiety and dread in advance of the <laughs> Interview of writing things go- down and being like, oh, no, this is garbage. What am I going to do? Turns out it both went pretty well. But, yeah, right. uh, sometimes interviews take a little bit more preparation than others.
1: Yeah, definitely. Now, as far as editing, you are much better than me. I would say – My editing time takes about double of what the recording time was. So, for instance, an hour-long interview takes me about two hours to record. Now, part of that is I am re-listening to the information. Like, I want again, I'm just a guy learning this stuff, too. And so I really enjoy listening to it again. Uh, But then I also I like to take out all the ums and the uhs and the plosives. And, you know, I I try to make a show that I want to listen to and, and you know, podcasts where, where guests say, um, over and over and over again, it bothers me. And it <laughs> might that might just be me, but I figure there's some other people out there. And so I go through and just kind of take out all that stuff. I try to make both the person I'm interviewing and myself sound better than we probably are in real life. And so if you ever meet me in real life, I'm probably going to say, um, even though I, I hardly ever seem to on my podcast, that's because I edit all of them out. Don't tell anybody. And so it just takes a while when you're going through and kind of editing out and, and doing that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'd say it probably takes about twice as long and then you have the process of you know creating the email that you're going to send out and the, the twitter posts like all the different like content creation that goes with like hey everybody this thing just launched you know mm-hmm. that goes into it as well
0: yeah well getting into some more of the technical stuff what are each of your processes on the technical side equipment software hosting and this is by at blue bgs
1: well, I use a, um, I record everything through my laptop, just a three-year-old MacBook Air, nothing special about it. Uh, I use for a mic the Audio-Technica, I think it's 2100, I looked it up earlier, yeah, 2100, just a USB mic, uh, it's like 60 bucks, so I mean, it's not expensive. You can spend a lot of money on this stuff if you want to, and it might sound a little better, or I don't know, I, I found this one works really, really well, you can get it on Amazon I use Skype to do all my interviews. I record through the Skype call recorder, which is like the most obviously named thing ever, like Hotel for Dogs. I mean, it just is what it says it is, is the Skype call recorder for Mac. Uh, it works really well. It records both sides, and so I find that that's easy. I'm looking into uh, Zencaster, though. I think if if I can get a little extra money through a stretch goal with the crowdfunding, I'm going to get a Zencaster account and, and use that. I think it – because with my internet – and, and people that have heard my show, you know that sometimes you hear kind of the sounds, the, the, the beeps and the, the, the odd noises in the background every now and then. Or the, it'll kind of like have a little, it's not static, but it just makes odd noises just because it's not the greatest internet. And so Zencastr, I think, will fix that problem. So I'm looking into that. Uh, but those are the kind of the, the technical things. Oh, I'll use Audacity to uh, do all the editing work
0: oh okay yeah i use GarageBand, but otherwise a lot of our process is similar there i got a macbook air a couple years old uh, i'm amazed that this thing's able to handle all the uh, audio and video editing that i've been doing and seems to be working just fine don't have too many crashes do skype audio recorder on skype uh, call recorder on skype And then the only other difference there is I have a Yeti Blue microphone, Mm. which is kind of the the standard in a lot of podcasting. And I don't know, I love it as a musician and a podcaster. It's a it's a good, just easy, efficient, omnidirectional microphone, which makes for in-person interviews, which I've done several of at this point, uh, a lot easier, too.
1: Yeah, I looked at that one a good bit. It's it kinda of went back and forth between the one I have and, and the Yeti. It's I mean the reviews are great for both of these mics and like you said, you, you do like I've seen a lot of your episodes that um at like PAX Unplugged and like you do a lot of live stuff but I think it's really cool. I'm really hoping to get into doing that whenever I can go to conventions. And I think your mic works would probably work a good bit better than mine for that
0: mm-hmm. uh, purpose. Well, these last two, these are straight up for you. So uh, have your interviews and conversations helped to shape Gabe's own game design goals, methods, and aspirations? We kind of hit on that earlier, but at Flat Out Games, wanted to ask.
1: Yeah, like kind of what we were talking about earlier, but – and to go a little bit deeper, it's funny. I don't know if other people experience this, but I feel like every time I do an interview – I have a new idea for a new game and I don't have any more time, but I'm like, ooh, what if I did a solo game? Ooh, what if I did this other thing? You know, it's like, oh, that'd be kind of cool. And so I get all these ideas and every now and then one of them is a a good idea for a game I'm already working on. And that's really cool and I can kind of take literally what I just learned in an interview and apply it to a game design that I'm working on. Yeah, I've gotten so much better and you can look at my game designs from, man, four or five years ago and it was just garbage. They were so bad. (laughs) And now I think I'm, Creating pretty decent stuff. Like I'm not I'm not anywhere near where I want to be. But I was you know I was listening to Matt Colville the other day and he does a lot of YouTube videos and mostly about Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, about you know being a DM. But one thing he talked about is you develop taste long before you develop skill. Like you know what's bad long before you can make something that's not bad. You know, and to just keep keep working, keep writing, keep working on you know whatever you're doing creatively, because the the greatness will come. You know, your your skill level will eventually get up to where your taste level is, and so just don't give up. And I think it's what happens to a lot of creative people they they look at what they know what's good and bad. But they can't make anything good, you know, based on their standards. And they just kind of walk away or they give up. And then that's – you've got to fight through that. And so that's one thing I've really learned is just keep making games. Make really bad games, if, yeah, you know, and, and get better.
0: you got to have grit, that 10,000 hours yeah. thing we were talking about. I, I like – paraphrasing it as sucking at something is the first step to being pretty good at something so you know you gotta put in the time put in the effort and the one thing that i always encourage people to do in anything creative that they're doing is finish a project don't get halfway through and start over again i used to teach music lessons and that that was the thing that i would really emphasize is don't Just focus on this first little bit of the song and nailing it. Try getting through that will help you so much more in order to reflect on the entirety of the thing. And whether that's finishing a game design and then reflecting on it, a podcast, the follow through, the grit, the resilience in order to continue to manufacture whatever it is that you're passionate about is what's going to give you the tools to actually be good at doing that thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think finish is, is maybe one of the most, one of the top five best things that you can learn or the best things that you can kind of create about yourself that there is. You know, and when I was playing college football, it's finish through the line. No matter what you're doing, no matter if you just broke your leg, no matter if you're throwing up, like it does not matter if you have to crawl across that line. Finish through the line, finish all the way through. Unless you're injured or something, go as fast as you can all the way through that line. And it wasn't, that's not necessarily teaching you anything, you know, football related, it's just kind of life related. Just finish, finish what you start, finish all the way through the line. And that's just something I've tried to carry over with me into everything I do, whether it's my marriage or with my kids or board games or whatever I'm doing is
0: just finish all the way through and then, and then worry about the rest. All right. We'll end it here with Dr. Wicks asks, how did Gabe come across or select the articles for his board game resources? And if you could narrow it down to 10 things, what would they be? Well, you know what? Let's not go with 10 things. But if you could list three resources that you think would be the the definitive things that you would want any potential game designer to look into, what would they be?
1: Well, let me start with the way I narrow it down. Like, so every Monday I send out the, the email, the newsletter, just the Monday, the gathering I caught of all the board game resources I found the previous uh, week. And, and a fun fact, I read and I listen to every single thing that I send out. Like, I never just send you a link and say, hey, read this, even though I haven't. No, like, I have consumed all that information and I consume a lot more than what I send out. And so I... Like, I read all these things. I'll listen to podcasts. I'll do these different things, and I just send out in that email the things that I thought were really good, the best of what I read. Because you know, I think of it again, like what kind of newsletter would I want to receive? I want to receive something that doesn't waste my time. That's not these kind of random, like okay, that was fine, I guess, but I've already read something somewhere. And like I want to send people what's going to really be helpful, be a good resource, and basically I want to uh, filter out all the stuff that's maybe not going to be helpful. And that way they don't have to. And so I'm just trying to make their lives, because everybody's strapped for time. And so I'm just trying to make uh, time a little bit easier. Um, as far as the the top three, man, Cardboard Edison is phenomenal. They, they just they they have an incredible uh, conglomeration of just board game design stuff, and they got this really cool. Contest that they're doing is January right now. They just launched a contest, and, and so that's a really cool thing they do every year. I love what they're doing over at Cardboard Edison. Uh, uh, James Rick,
0: Rick Lorenzen, who uh, messaged uh, us earlier with a question, he's submitting a entry for Cardboard Edison. Yeah. So that's super cool.
1: Yeah, definitely. I've got a couple games that I'm hoping to uh, have to a, a place when I've got to kind of get some. You want it to look good. You know, you don't <laughs> want to just say, hey, here's my game on this manila folder and these note cards. Like you wanted to have a, a little bit of a more of a table presence for that. And so I'm working on that right now. Hopefully I'll be able to submit a couple this year. Um, I was actually a finalist last year. I was, I was, I was pumped. I made, I made the top. I don't know, 17 or something. So hopefully I can do that again. And, uh, yeah, if you're listening to this and never heard of it, cardboardedison.com, go find the uh, contest that they're doing and and throw, throw your game in there. See what happens. That's, last year I was like, I don't have any chance of winning, but let's just see what happens, and I made the top 20. And so, like, you just never know uh, what's going to happen, and, and it's a really cool thing. Uh, Jamie Stegmaier's blog is phenomenal. I, I think everybody on the Internet that's a game design anything knows that. Like, it's just an incredible resource for Kickstarter, for uh, customer service, for fulfillment, for distribution, like all the different things that go into game publishing, game design. He's an incredible resource. Um, Edo Barath is, I don't know, I don't know if I can even do top three. Uh, I might have, have more than that, actually. I could probably do 10. Uh, Edo Barath, he does videos every week talking about different things. A lot of it's Kickstarter. He does a lot of interviews now where he's talking to people in the industry and uh, just really good content over at LeagueOfGameMakers.com. Uh, then there's also a guy over at uh, MakeThemPlay.com. His name's Bastian. He he writes really great articles almost weekly. I, pretty much every week I go to his site and I find something new where he talks about really cool uh, stuff. A lot, a lot of design theory, and, you know, ways that games can end or different mechanic or mechanisms that you can use in your game. Uh, Brandon Rollins, another one. Brandon Rollins, board game dev, I think, is what he goes by, and he does a lot of really great stuff. He's been putting out a lot of content over the last few months, um, just these like really in-depth, long-form blog posts. And so um, those are some of the main ones that, that, I, that I go to every week, and I, I can pretty much count on them to have something <laughs> there that people are going to want to read and that I want to read. That's another cool thing through doing this, I've learned so much just in gathering all these resources and because I'm reading it all and and then being able to pass it on to other people. And so as much as I'm serving other people, it's it's a service to me as well. And I'm learning and growing and, and just trying to help other people do the same.
0: Well, where can people sign up for this newsletter and check out all kinds of board game design lab stuff?
1: Yeah, if you go to BoardGameDesignLab.com, there's a, a place right there on the front page of the website, right on the homepage, and it says you know, win. You can win free games, you can get all sorts of resources and whatnot, and just give me your email address, and I promise I'm not going to sell it or anything like that, <laughs> uh, and I'll send you weekly updates on you know, resources from around the internet, and also for podcasts and different giveaways and things that the Board Game Design Lab is doing, and it's been great. Over the last year, just built a really, really cool community. Uh, of people launching a Facebook group, trying to bring those people together even more to connect even more and celebrate wins and talk through questions and figure things out and make connections as far as you know how to get better, how to encourage one another, how to hold each other accountable. That's another thing I think we struggle with as designers is, is being accountable to get things done. Like you're saying, finish. It's so hard to finish when you're operating by yourself. And so trying to find ways to build community to help people not only learn and get better as designers, but also to get things done and and to feel like you have people rooting for you, kind of, you know, that are on your team, so to speak, that are really excited about your success. And so hopefully that'll be some, uh, be a good way to create more community and and, uh, help people get things done.
0: Well, I think you're doing a heck of a thing here and the community is certainly better to have you in it. So thank you so much, Gabe, for coming on to the show. I have really appreciated this. This is just awesome having a conversation with you finally. You're no longer the rival. You are the colleague Colleague. that I have been looking for. So thank you so much for coming on to the Cardboard Harold. And thank you to everyone who uh, gave us a question on Twitter. I really appreciate it.
1: Definitely, man. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been an honor. been a privilege to I just come on and talk a lot about me. And and again, I I don't get to do this much. I'm always the one asking questions. So, and maybe I talk too much. I don't know, but it's been fun just to to kind of sit back and and talk about life and board games and all that. And so again, I really
0: appreciate you having me on. Totally. Well, thanks so much, man. All right. Have a good one. As always, the Cardboard Herald is a completely free service, providing you with interviews, reviews, and recommendations. You can find all of our stuff at CardboardHerald.com or check out all of our regular content on our YouTube channel. If you are interested in contributing, have some feedback, or just want your listener mail read on air, click the contact link on our site. If you enjoyed this episode on our interview feed, check out our sister podcast, TCBH Reviews, where we give you audio versions of our reviews, followed by a look behind the scenes of what went into making them. Lastly, this episode was edited and produced by Rob Conley of Ginger Cat Productions. Have a new audio project you need help with? Whether it's music or podcasting, Ginger Cat Productions can help you out. Find them at gcatproductions.com. Once again, thank you for listening. I've been Jack for the Cardboard Herald, and you keep on gaming.